mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30 this morning. Now, I really want to bring us back into context um, of what's going on before we read. Because I don't know if you remember that in 6 verse 7, chapter 6 of Mark verse 7, listen, he said, uh, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for than that city. So they went out and they preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, listen. Context is what we want, is that Jesus is sending out his disciples, right? He is, he is, he is um, training them to trust him, training them to go without all of their provision and to leave this world behind and to trust that he's going to provide provision when they get there. A place to stay, a, a food to eat. Uh, you know, they don't take two cloaks. They, they don't take any money, but they're trusting, learning to trust. It's called discipleship. See, Jesus come here, sent by the Father with a plan, and he brought nothing into this world. But he's taken souls back out. He's taken souls with him because he laid down his life and he trusted the Father perfectly. And it's so important that we understand that he is our example. He is the one who is discipling us in how to live properly in the kingdom of God. So our context really is, is that he's discipling, that he's sending out. And in the midst of that, what does our evangelist do, Mark? He tells us that it's dangerous when you go out and you speak truth. And he gives us the, the, the testimony of John the Baptist who went out and spoke truth and got his head cut off. Listen to me. When you go out and you speak truth and you trust God by faith to do His work for His glory, they might cut your head off. They hated him. They're going to hate you. That's 
At best, they're going to not listen to your message. Because it's a world underneath the sway of the wicked one. Listen, we live in times when even the church, those who say they're the church, don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth of the Word of God. They want to cut the head off of the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, the witness who would go into the streets and say, well, that's not true and that's not right and that really isn't happening. They want to cut your head off. And I don't know if you've noticed in our communities, but, but see, we've been preaching a wrong gospel, a social gospel, a self-help gospel, a psychology-filled gospel for so long that most of the church has bought into this false racial narrative that's in the streets. Most of the church is buying into Black Lives Matter, which is a racist hate group. It's a black supremacy group. And many people would say to me, well, why are you talking about that on Sunday? Because the devil fights with lies, and he's trying to deceive the elect if it were possible. And the church needs to be awake because God said, Jesus said on the planet, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So let me just ask you as I ask on Friday night, who are you following? Who are you following? It means to be in the way with. Because who you're following becomes your God. If you're following the nightly news, you could be following a lie. Most probably are following a lie because the nightly news, no matter which side of the news you're on, is underneath the sway of the wicked one. Listen to me. It's so important that the church hear this today in these evil times that we live in. They've always been evil, but we're drawing close to the end. We're the planet thinks they're doing a reset, but God is fixing to do a reset. He's fixing to make all things new again. The planet's been groaning for redemption. Our bodies groan for redemption. And we're fixing to see that. In fact, I don't get to get to it today, but even when he tries to get them in the boat to get them to the other side, I believe is a type of the rapture. He comes to them as they're straining and they're doing the work and they're trying to get to the other side and they don't know what's going on. And he comes to them as if he was going to pass them by. But then he says and speaks to them. Listen, come up here is getting ready to be said. I, I believe with all my heart that the rapture of the church is soon. When he says, come up here, meditata, Revelation chapter 4, come up here to John. I hope you're ready. I hope you're looking. I hope you're waiting. But listen, so context. We want to understand that the context here is, is it is he's training. He's training these disciples that, hey, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going away. But he already knows what he's going to say at the end of this when he says, go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what's going on? They've been sent out. Now, they've been spending for almost three years all of their time with Jesus. What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? They're following him around like little children. 
And so now he's training them that they can go do what he said to do, yet he's not there. And at the culmination of that is going to be death, burial, then resurrection. Then he sends the Spirit, and he's not there at all, except he's everywhere. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But he's training them to understand, even when you think I'm not there, I'm there. Even when you think there's not enough, I'm there. Even when you think I've sent you on an impossible mission, you can trust me, I'm there. I'm discipling you now so that you will know tomorrow that you can trust me. But if you decide to take this mission, count the cost. Because they might cut your head off. See, we've made it a costume jewelry. This is a great club to join. America has went to sleep. Now come on and join our church. We're having so much fun. You can volunteer to hand out food in the food pantry. You can hang out and play bingo. They killed our Savior. They killed him. They hate him. Listen, this is serious stuff. And we've turned it into some type of a social club when they want to cut your head off. Because of who you represent. Because you're an ambassador for Christ. As if Christ was pleading through you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. We've turned it into some type of a social club where we win and influence and make friends. And if you ain't in the crowd, you ain't in the cool gang, if you ain't, then you can't go to our church. If you don't dress properly, we've turned it into some type of religion that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. And he's trying to show them through example, uh, slowly, that he loves them. He's going to give them all provision if they will stop trusting in themselves. That they can live by faith and it will grow as they go. But see, in the church today, we won't go. In the church today, our faith doesn't grow because we never get out of the boat. We never step out. We never go unless we've got everything planned out with our business meetings. Unless we got a committee on it. Unless we got something going on where we know exactly what's going to happen and how much money we're going to spend. We don't do anything in the church. Now, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about churches. Church at large. It's got to all be planned out. It's got to have a budget. It's got to have a master. Wait a minute. God already gave us a plan. God already gave us provision. God already told us how to go out with nothing. And trust Him. Count the cost. Count the cost is what I would tell you. Are you going to go with him or continue following the world? Following a lie, following yourself, following your own sin nature, your own desires. Following your little plan of Christianity that, that makes up a God that isn't real. That's what we're following in America. 
well, I don't have to do that. Just because the pastor said I had to do that don't mean I had to do that. No, the Bible tells you what to do. Don't listen to the pastor. Ignore the pastor, okay? Ignore the pastor. Ignore the shepherd. Ignore the pastor. But read your Bible and do what it says, okay? That's where we're at in America. Well, my pastor says, and my church says, and we're thinking, and we might do, what does the Bible say? Your pastor might be deceived and be a liar. Listen to me, I'm pretty serious about this. Because if you don't know what your Bible says, how in the world do you know your pastor is telling you the truth? You say, well, um, I, um, it, it, um, listen to me. You might start out as a child, but we're not supposed to stay children. The child, how long do we stay children? Move on to the meat and know whether you're going to heaven or hell. Do you know? No. Well, my pastor said if I said a prayer at the altar, I would. What if your pastor's lying? What if Jesus said, he's our example, he's the one the Father sent. What if Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. What if Jesus said, this is the plumb line of the gospel? Not a prayer at an altar. But what if the plumb line is, the proof is, the fact of repentance is, you're following what Jesus told you to do. See, because Eve, she listened to the wrong voice. She disobeyed God. And she caused us all to be in this place of sin that we're trying to be delivered from. So how could we keep doing what Eve did and think that we're being delivered to heaven. Let me say that again in case you missed that. How do we keep ignoring the voice of God, the word of God, the truth of God, and following something else and think that we're being delivered into heaven? I don't care what kind of gospel you make up. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. That means relationship. There's a knowing going on. Because that's way more important than the American church saying, I know Jesus. Does he know you? And they follow me. That is right there. Their walk is following the example that the father laid out. Huh? The father laid out the example. The father's the one that gave the whole plan to the son. And he's down here executing it as we speak. And as he executes it, what's he doing? He's wanting to become one with you just like he is one with the father. And he's wanting you to follow him just like he's following the father's plan. Because this is how we're delivered out. We're led out. Well, where does that all come from? I know I haven't read the text and I haven't prayed. Calm down if you're watching. If you're listening, we'll get there. Listen, it all starts in the garden. Genesis, the book of beginnings. God created marriage. Now, I'm a couple pages ahead there. He created the earth and everything first, and then he created man. Then he seen that man didn't have a, a helper comparable, and then he created woman, and he committed the first marriage himself, and he made a male and female in the marriage. Right? There's our example. 
And then in the example, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then they're supposed to train their children. But what happens? Before they can even have children, the devil rushes in and attacks the marriage. And tries to upset the apple cart of God's design. So that we'll listen to a lie about what marriage is. And then he attacks the children. So it's all about the, 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 the parenting. It's all about fathers in the home. This is Father's Day. Let's talk about fathers. It's all about fathers in the home. It's all about the Father in heaven. Think about it. We're being delivered back to the Father. We've been brought into a family. And, we, and Jesus is doing that. And how do we get there? We marry the Son because we're the bride. And then we become part of that family. And in part of that family, I talked about, touched on it Friday night. Listen, you ever notice people that they've been married for 50 years and they look alike, they act alike, they talk alike, they're one, they're becoming one. Now, they still have individuality, but they're becoming one. They like the same things. They're moving in the same direction. Unless, of course, they're moving toward a divorce, which they're not supposed to do. So when you marry yourself to Christ and you say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Then you want to become like your groom. Then you want to obey your head. You want to become like him and become one with them. And it becomes a family. Where then you begin to say, well, what do I do now then? Well, I want to be a witness because he told me to go and make disciples. So I want to have children. Listen to me. It's a marriage. It's all a type of what we're supposed to be doing here. There's a spiritual realm that's really going on. And there's the physical that you and I are trying to walk out. But we can't see it. And we have to be led by the Spirit. You bear children in marriage. Well, how do I bear children? Well, I share by my lifestyle. I share by what I'm doing. I share by the word of God. And if God brings them to salvation, those are now my spiritual children. See, we're going to go multiply. We become part of his family. We get married and we have children. Yet the church today, they say, well, if I just say a prayer, I'm good. Well, try that. That's why the divorce rate is 80 some percent in the church. Because everybody says, I will, and they never do. They never do what God said. They start listening to the wrong voice and following the wrong God. And it's one that they've made up in their own mind that makes them feel good about themselves, but it doesn't have the power. It's actually from the synagogue of Satan. So here is God on the planet leading his man, training his man, teaching his man to do exactly what he's doing. He's one with the Father. In fact, he told Thomas, he said, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's how one they were. Count the cost. If we counseled more people in marriage to count the cost like we used to, Instead of making it like a drive-through window, where if I, I'll try this marriage and if it doesn't work, I can get a divorce. If we counsel people to obey God's word. So what was my point? Here's my point. Because the church needs to know. You need to know. I need to reason in my heart what's going on on the planet because we live here. Now, this is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. But we don't have a race problem in America. 
Listen to me. We do not have a race problem. I don't care what you watch on your favorite TV show, your favorite news show. If, if there's 12% of the population that's black, and we voted Barack Obama into office who is black, then there's two things that happen. Either the Democratic Party hijacked the election, and elections don't even work anymore, and they put a black man in office just because they wanted to, or the second conclusion is, is America's not racist. Because all those racists would have never went out to the polls and voted for a black man if they're racist. Think about it. They didn't get so twisted around that they go, let's try to convince everybody we're not racist by electing a black man. It's just a lie from the pit of hell. See, we don't have a problem with skin. We have a problem with sin. We don't have a problem with Elmer Fudd and his gun. We have a problem with blame game. Remember what happened with the first family? Remember what happened when they had to sew fig leaves on and they wanted to cover their sin? What did they do? They blamed somebody else instead of taking personal responsibility. It's that woman you gave me. I know I was supposed to be the head. I know, Lord, I was supposed to tell her about the gospel. And I was supposed to tell her all these things you told me. And train her and make sure she didn't have a conversation with another lying voice. And she wasn't following some lie, but she was following you. She wasn't supposed to eat from that tree. But I didn't do it. I just stood there and let her do it anyway because she's kind of cute. I know I'm making that whole conversation up. But he blamed Eve for it. Then Eve blamed the devil. And Eve, who was deceived, was more right than Adam was. Because really it was the devil who had put it in her heart, had told her some other lies, had gave her another thought to think about other than God being good. And when that became, she, she started, uh, really? And it became full-blown, and what did it become? When it was full-blown, James says it becomes sin, and sin leads to death. And so now we're in debt. But what was it? It was the attack on family. What's the real problem today in America? Oh, yeah, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the real problem in America. And he is. He's part of the problem. He's going to make America great again. What about the morality? What about getting back to God's word? You can make the economy great all you want, but the hearts of the people are still living in a cesspool. They still have broken families. They still are not obeying God, and, and the fathers are not in the home. The leadership is destroyed. Father's Day. Father's Day. Well, let's think about the Father in heaven who gave us the greatest gift ever given, His Son. The most selfless thing you could ever do was to give your only child so that other people could be delivered from the sin and the lie of the devil. And that's what fathers need to do today is follow that example and give their life away. To be selfless. Follow the example. I have these statistics. I will get to our sermon in a minute, but I have a little bit on my heart. See, the problem, which is not systemic, racism is not systemic. The, the, I, I should digress. The problem in America is systemic. It's systemic sin. It's built into the government of the devil. It's built into the system of sin. It's built into the rebellion of your heart. It's systemic. And the only answer is Jesus. 
The only answer is Jesus. There's no other answer. There's no other way to escape the sin nature but the blood of Jesus. And the problem is, we're not following Him. 63% of all people who commit suicide come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless people come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison or any other program come from fatherless homes. Listen to me. The attack has always been against God's word, God's institution, God's plan, God's design. And the problem is not skin color or ethnicity. The problem is saying no to God. That's the problem. See, now, most of the psychologists, or excuse me, the sociologists and the people who study this stuff and they're trying to correct America and the planet, they'll all agree. That's where I got the statistics from. But now they don't agree on how do you fix it. Well, what do you do? Well, you bust windows out and you beat people to death and you turn over cars and you set stuff on fire. That'll fix it. I got a good idea. Let's shoot some people. Let's turn some stuff over. Let's get rid of the police. Really? That's your idea to fix it? Sounds like you live and follow the devil. And anybody with any common sense would say that. The only answer is the grace of God. You know, the grace of God is the reason the Tower of Babel was separated. The grace of God is why that was separated. God said they will kill themselves trying to do it that way. I'll separate their languages, move them into different areas, and it'll take longer for them to come back together and kill themselves. But meanwhile, I will go ahead with my plan of what I'm doing, and I'll come down as my son, and, and, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow a virgin, and, and will give birth, and I'll live 30 years, and I'll die for them. Before they kill themselves. The same reason he put guards over the Garden of Eden when he asked them to leave. So that they wouldn't kill themselves. By eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life. And being in sin the rest of their lives. Listen to me. The only hope is Jesus. Families without fathers. Is, is one of the biggest deals. I've often said, and I'll say it till probably till God takes away my voice, a bad father in the home is better than no father in the home. A bad father is better than no father in the home. But we have a loving father who loves us in heaven. And all he wants us to do is listen to his son's voice. Just listen. It's Father's Day. Fathers, the greatest thing you can do is love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. Lay your lives down for your families, for your wife, for your families. Do a selfless thing like God did who gave his son. What do we do? We leave our families. James says in James 1 27, you might know it by heart. It's been one of our memory verses before. 
pure and undefiled religion, this is good religion, before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Notice, listen, pure and undefiled. You want to talk about Christians? You want to be a pure and undefiled Christian? Take care of the helpless and the fatherless. Protect them. And keep yourself unspotted from the world. In other words, don't adopt the ways of the world. Don't be politically correct like the world. Be godly correct. Be holy and pure. But you have to protect the fatherless. See, there's one group of people in America, not a party, but a whole group of people that has exploited the fatherless, the poor. They exploit them. They use them. I've seen it in the homeless shelters, and people can get mad at me all they want. I'm not really hip on parachurch groups. Why have a parachurch group when you have the real church group that can go do the work? But I've seen that exploitation with the people in the homeless shelters where they would march them up on stage and parade them out in front of people and use them as token reasons as to why you should do this and manipulate the people instead of just preaching a sermon and saying, hey, we need to take care of the fatherless and the orphan. But we manipulate people with different things. And there's, that's what the country is doing, manipulating to get their own gain. And we really get nothing out of it. I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. What'd you get out of it? Entertainment on the news? What'd you get out of it? Some more fear? Some more anxiety? What'd you get out of it? They said that, that they had like 4,000 heart attacks in New York City during the lockdown. On one day, they had so many. They normally have 40 calls. They had like over 300 calls of heart attacks. You know what they did? They go COVID and slapped them on a machine. It wasn't COVID. It was anxiety and fear. They were freaking out. And yet they were treated like they were a COVID patient that couldn't breathe. And you know, what the, you know what the result is? They're mad that they couldn't count them as COVID deaths. Really? You're not mad that a life was lost? You're not freaking out because somebody lost a father? A mother? You're just mad because you couldn't add that to the amount of people that died? See, the government doesn't care about us. It's underneath the sway of the wicked one. I don't care how many rallies they have. Jesus is our father. Jesus is the one that came for us. He's our only hope. He's the only hope to get fathers back in homes. The church is supposed to be the greatest institution on the planet. And the church is giving way to the government. The church is giving away to psychology and sociology and all these other plans. And, 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 to, and to Black Lives Matter, I can tell you right now. If the church is listening to Black Lives Matters, that means they have no spirit whatsoever. And I will not call them the church. If you will listen to a hate group that's run by, by Muslims and, and, and rich white people who care nothing about a society, nothing about a people, nothing about babies, nothing about fathers, and all they want to do is exploit by marching one thug after another thug in front of you and saying he was really a hero, he wasn't a thug. Listen to me. Who does that? Who does that? When somebody tells you that Hitler was a good guy, really, what do you think of them? Oh, they're telling us that now. When somebody tells you that people like John Dillinger and all these bank robbers and killers, and when they tell you they were good people, what do you think of that? 
Oh, really? You must have known him better than me, huh? I'm not saying anybody needs to die. Nobody needs Jesus. Jesus, the Father sent the Son so that no one would have to die. We could all have life. But our battle is not a physical battle in the streets the way they're fighting it right now. It's a physical battle about Jesus and about whose voice you're listening to and who you're following, where you're getting your information at, because it all is underneath the sway of the wicked one. Democrat, Republican, if they are not underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, preaching his gospel, then they have the sway of the wicked one in their life. Listen to me. If their motivation isn't to save your soul, then it's not the work of God. Even if you give somebody a meal, a fish, we're going to have it in our text if I ever get to it, and some bread. The entire motivation of Jesus was to save their soul. Let's keep them, let's get them a house, let's build them a house, let's give them more stuff. It's who you're following that's the problem. There's not a person on this planet, if you get a job today, listen, you can go get a job today. Listen, you get a job today, you get paid tomorrow. Go, it's on every Wendy's place, every Wendy's place has got it on there. Work today, get paid tomorrow. You go get a job, you're going to be doing better tomorrow. Not just physically, but, 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 but spiritually. In your mind, will, and emotions, because we were made to work. And when you don't do what you're called to do, it messes you up psychologically. It messes you up as a man. If, you're not, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And if you're not working and taking care of what you're supposed to be doing, it will mess you up in your mind. The same way listening to the wrong voice will mess you up in your Christianity. It will mess you up. And you'll be listening to the wrong voice. You'll be moving in the wrong direction. And then your sin nature will kick in. And you'll have so much pride, you won't even repent of going in the wrong direction. You won't, oh no, our church believes. What does God believe? I know, I'm just getting some stuff off my chest. Our real text is in Mark. Listen, it's Father's Day. We need to put stuff in perspective. We need to understand that there's a father that loves us. And that father sent provision. And that father wants us to hear his voice and follow him. That father wants us to be like him. And he's given us everything we need. And he's with us here now. And he's trying to train us and disciple us and make us more like him. And so he's going to send this out. And you're going to go out. And the first time you went out, I remember the first time I went to share my testimony. Now listen to me because we fail. First time I was asked to share my testimony. You know what happened? They gave me an out and I didn't do it. Still kicks me in the butt. But it was life. I learned from it. I got to that church and was there. It was a night service. And kids were crazy and tearing up the chairs behind us. And I didn't write nothing down. I didn't do any preparing. I just thought I'd just go wing it. And they go, well, if you don't want to share, you don't have to. I go, okay, that's me. I didn't want to. 
Because we don't want to do it. We don't want to trust God. But the next time I was given an opportunity, I trusted God when I left. There was 3,000 people crying when I left. And I told my wife, I go, these people are whack. Let's get out of here. They're crazy. Remember them all crying and acting weird? And Well, it wasn't 3,000 in one room. It was two different services I shared at. But I was just giving you the gist of it. But that's how faith grows. You're going to fail in your faith. But you want, you're not failing to get kicked out of heaven. You failed to learn that I could have trusted God. I should have trusted God. I can trust God. And he's building that in you as he disciples you and trains you. But you've got to do your part. You've got to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and stop listening to the lying voices that are pouring gasoline on your fire and making you want to argue about Democrats and Republicans and argue about racism. And is it really systemic or not? The problem is sin, and the church above all people should be able to yell that. Even if there was systemic racism, the problem would still be sin and not skin. And why is it that you never hear about some of these people? You never hear from them. They hide in their little holes until they can make a paycheck. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the false Reverend Sharpton. I'm talking about these people that only crawl out of their hole when it's time to try to, to say something about some disaster. That drives me crazy when these people come out of their little holes and start pointing at everybody else. Let's look at, some clo let's look at your closet there, Mr. Reverend Al Sharpton. Let's look in your closet a little bit. This is not a political rally. This is a sermon about sin. This is a sermon about fathers in the home. If men would stop running and playing and they would get serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of going off and having fun and leaving their families where they're at, if they would love their wives, we wouldn't end in divorce. They would train their children. We wouldn't end with thugs in the street. If they would stop thinking the way they think. See, I was raised without a father. And I can tell you now, I used to think, I used to think people in a suit or people at church, they didn't like me. If you had money, you didn't like me. That's what I was thought. That's what you that's what you think when you're in the gutter. I was a thief, I was a liar, I was everything you could think of. A con. I mean, and the only thing that changed my life was Jesus Christ. Because he changed the way I think. He put his spirit in me and his word in me. So I began to think differently and look at situations differently. And that's the problem. Is that our, our political parties continue to do the same thing regardless Oh, they throw us a token bite to eat every once in a while. But they continue to do the same thing, Republican and Democrat alike. Same thing. They use the souls of men as bait, the skin color of men as bait to deceive and divide and destroy and conquer. That's what the devil always does. He doesn't want us to be one, he doesn't want us to have unity. But God said we should be unified in the body of Christ. 
And the true body of Christ is unified. Let's look. It's verse 30, chapter 6, Mark. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now listen to me. Again, context. He sent them out. He wants them to learn that even though he's not there, his provision and power is there. They can trust him. Right? But your head might get cut off. We're back to our sermon. I just had to get some stuff off my chest. Happy Father's Day. Context, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to be your disciples. Help us to hear your voice and know that you know us. You know our hearts better than we do and that your sheep follow you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now notice this. Because this is exactly really what it says in Acts 1, which is your reading today if you didn't have leap year, according to somebody who told me that today. Look at Acts 1. What did, what did we see in Acts 1 after Jesus rose from the dead? Listen to this. Here's the same statement. The former account I made, lovers of God, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, what did they just do? They were being held accountable for what they went out and done and what they were teaching. See, Jesus is our example. He's got a plan. He's been given instruction. He's been sent by the Father, and He sends us the same way. And it's all that He's doing and teaching. And the provision was already given to Him by the Father, and the provision is passed on to you and me to go and do and then teach. Now, what were they doing? They... they, they Well, you know what they were teaching. Look what they were teaching. It's verse 12 of the same chapter, 6. We read it. So they went out and preached that people should repent. You hear me? Turn from this stinking thinking and and stay in the home. Turn from this stinking thinking and quit listening to the government. Turn and listen to the voice of God. Change your mind. Change your direction. Sin is the problem. And because they were preaching that, they also had power to cast out demons and anointed many were oil that were sick and healed them. But they don't want to hear it. And if they don't want to hear it, you dust your shoes. They might cut your head off. They put John the Baptist in jail for it. They put Paul in jail for it. They killed Paul for it. They killed many martyrs for it. So you and I could get this gospel. And while they were killing them, they were changing the gospel. They're diverting it to a social gospel, to to all kinds of different gospels, as long as you didn't get the true gospel. So listen to me. It's how you live. Some call it lifestyle evangelism. When they showed up at those cities, they didn't walk in and go, repent, you stink, repent. They walked in. They're looking for a place to stay. They're finding out who they can stay with. So they're building this little bit of conversation. And they go, what are you doing here? Well, we've been sent. Glad you asked. Jesus told me to come. Oh, we've heard of him. 
He's been healing everybody. He's been doing all of this. They see they're in a little bitty region and they're being witnesses. And so now they can share and then they see the provision of God that God has already went before them. His testimonies went before. They've heard of him. They're anxious now to be taught. We don't see that in the church today. We'll do anything except go to church and learn about Jesus. Think about it. Think about the last excuse you used to skip church, to skip Bible study, to skip prayer meeting. Think about the last excuse. Now, I'm not being legalistic. I'm telling you that if this voice is what's going to save our soul and keep us from the lies of the devil, and we need to know whether we're saved or not before we give up this physical heart, why would we not want to get into the gospel? Why would we not want to hear what the Bible says? Why would we not want to be equipped if our mission is really to go out there and tell other people? Now, well, because we've been told, we've been lied to. All you got to do is say a prayer. We've been lied to. Really, I think the verse John 10, 27 is more important than saying a prayer. Because it's evidence of a changed life. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You know how he knows them? He keeps looking back at them, and they're going, Bah! Bah! Help me, Jesus! You're too far ahead! Think about it. He knows them because he keeps seeing them, and they're staying there, and they're listening to his voice, and they're following, doing what he's doing, going in the direction he's going. We talked about this on Friday night, the sheep, it's in the text. We'll get to it in a minute. Maybe, maybe not. So the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. What they were doing and what they were teaching. When's the last time you gathered with Jesus and Talk to him about what you're doing and what you're teaching. No, 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 seriously. Coming in prayer and saying, this is what I've been doing, Jesus, and this is what I've been telling people by what I'm doing and what I'm saying. Think about it really deep. There's an accountability for a life of a Christian. If you say you know Jesus, people are watching. There is accountability. This is what I've been doing, Jesus, and, and this is what I'm telling them by my actions and by my words. Oh, really? And the shepherd will open up his book and say, that's not what I left you instructions to do. Now, I love you, and, but I said, go and make disciples. I mean, seriously, think about it. This is what the church is left here for. To be a spiritual hospital. Not to join in political groups. I'm not telling you not to vote. Vote your conscience. No, you're voting for evil, though. The lesser of two. Makes a whole lot of sense there. There's accountability. Let me, let me give you a scripture on that. Hebrews 13, 17. I don't want you to think I'm just talking up here. 
Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, this might be speaking of under rowers or under shepherds, I should say. It might be speaking of somebody who is actually a teacher because not all of us are supposed to be a teacher. However, your life is instructing and teaching by what you do and say. This is what a Christian's like because this is what they're doing and saying. I remember when I first got saved and I'm looking at people around me in the church and I'm like, I'm so excited that I've been called out of this fatherlessness and now I have a father. I have no family, but now I have a family that I can actually start to live and people, and I was grabbing people at the church and hugging them and they're like, dude is whacked, but I was saved. And I'm looking at people and those people are no longer around. Because they weren't doing what they should have been doing. And I'm not pointing at them and being mean and nasty or saying they're not saved. But they were still doing what they'd always been doing. I don't think they understood salvation. I don't think they understood the pit of hell. Because if we understood the pit of hell and had been living there, we'd have been grateful to have been pulled out of it. And again... I'm not pointing at myself. I'm trying to use an example as Jesus did. He would point at himself. My father is witness to this. I'm pointing at the work of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. But if we don't do our part by getting into word, prayer, and fellowship, if we don't do our part by trying to, to learn and grow and follow and become doers of the word and not hearers only, don't be surprised when everything else is a better fun thing to do than go to church. Don't be surprised when we end up with a church that believes black lives matters. Is a really nice group. They're a nice bit of people. I was listening. I mean, listen, I was listening to a guy and this is the serious truth. When you have white people all across the land raising their hand and getting on a knee and apologizing for white supremacy, that means they were white supremacists. That means they really thought they were better than somebody else. Why else would you apologize? They really believed that it was their fault that somebody else didn't have a job and was killing people in the street. And that's because of their pride. See, it's a sin problem. They really believe that they are better than that other group of people in their heart. You can't change that by apologizing. You can only change that by receiving redemption. And then Jesus says that there's neither slave nor free. There's neither black or white. We all become as one at the foot of the cross. There's accountability for being an apostle. Now, an apostle is a delegate. It's an ambassador. That's what it is. It means one sent forth. You and I are apostles. Now, we might not be the original 12 apostles that were called, but we are apostles. We're ambassadors. Paul clearly tells us that we're ambassadors in, for Christ. We're representing. So all that we do and say represents the kingdom of God. And you're going to be held accountable for what you're doing and saying. How's it working out? Are you talking about the gospel? Are you living out the gospel? Are you looking to bring other people to salvation? Are you looking to do the work of the ministry according to the gospel without worrying about provision? Without worrying about a second set of clothes? 
Are you asking the Holy Spirit to be your strength? So they came back. He wanted, and they're, they're ready to tell testimony of what happened. Man, you should have seen it. I laid hands on him. I said, in the name of Jesus. And that demon came straight out. Scared me. I mean, they're telling testimony of what they, and so then we was able to teach them. When that happened, we laid hands on that sick one, put an oil on him and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then they said, they all, and so we was able to teach them that, that Jesus is, is here. The Messiah is here. The one you've been looking for. And I think in some ways they're a little bit awestruck deer in the headlights too because they're still learning who Jesus is. And see, you should be. You need to be. You need to stay that way in your faith going, wow. Did you see what God just did? That's why on Friday night when we have Bible study, it's not just instructing. It's not just equipping. We give a time to do scripture memory verse. We give a time to do praise and news. I would love to have that accountability. Wait, uh, praise reports, news. Everybody just sits there. Because they don't have nothing to talk about. Because they ain't been doing that except living for self all week long. But wouldn't it be great? I was sharing at the gas pump. This is what we need to be looking at. This is the accountability of the believers. I know nobody wants to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to read this in my Bible. Because then I'm accountable. And because they've been doing this work, you ever go to a conference and come home and need a vacation? Seriously. Here they've been out, and it says in 31, And he came to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Jesus wants you to get alone. But with Him. Get alone with Him. You get alone by yourself. That ain't rest. Notice He's with them. You don't, go, you don't, you don't get away from Jesus. You're getting away from the people, the ministry. You've got to have time to rest sometimes. Because it will drain you. They didn't even have time to eat. Again, I don't want to point at myself. But for 20-some years, I don't, eat on, I don't eat supper till 10 o'clock at night most of the time. I, I'm okay. I ain't dying. I can use to still miss a few meals. But on Wednesdays, I mean, I know for 15 years, on Wednesdays, on Fridays and Sunday nights, I didn't eat till 10 or 11 o'clock at night because the work of the ministry was more important. Souls are more important. I'm not going to die missing a meal. Listen to me. You're not going to die missing a meal. We're getting ready to read where Jesus feeds 5,000. He did not think for a moment, oh my goodness, if we don't feed them right now, they're all going to die out here and perish in the wilderness. When he fed them, he was growing faith. He was showing who he was. He was, and he wasn't rebuking. Listen, I read these commentaries and they go, yeah, and 12 baskets left over. That's a big rebuke to the disciples. That wasn't a rebuke. That was provision. That was helping them to know that there would be provision. I don't believe it's a rebuke at all. I don't. God's not here to punish you. He came here to save you. 
Now, if you continue to resist and ignore his voice and say you're his sheep and you really are, he might chastise you. But he's not trying to say, I told you so every time he's growing your faith. He's trying to get you to see it and trust him and follow him. So I don't believe those 12 fragments, those 12 baskets are a rebuke. I believe they're provision. Don't worry about the earthly stuff. That's easy. We're trying to lead them in a spiritual relationship. Listen to me. He wanted them to get rest because the, the people were crowding in. They weren't even able to eat. He wanted them to get time alone. Now, how do I know this? How do I know he wanted them to get time alone with him? Because they got their original sending from him. Go. This is how you do it. Trust me. Don't take provision. I'm your provision. And now he's going to feed 5,000, and he wants them to get away and rest. And in the 5,000, what do we have? We have a testimony of faith where they had to obey him. They had to instruct the people exactly like he said, sit down in groups. They had to come to him and get the provision and turn around and go back to the people and give the provision. So he's wanting to show them that their rest is in coming back to him. He is our rest. He is our Sabbath rest. This is not about them physically. It's about training them spiritually that they always have to get in the word, prayer, and fellowship every day. They always have to look to him as their power, their strength, and their might, and their provision every day. You don't just do it on Sundays. It's a love relationship of discipleship where he's teaching us to be good fathers. He's teaching us to be good husbands. He's teaching us to be good witnesses. He's teaching us to fulfill the calling and the gospel. All of this is about the heart. He wasn't worried those people were going to starve. Oh my goodness, I better turn these five loaves and two fish into a bunch of food or these people are going to starve. There's no Wendy's around here. He's training them to understand what he's doing and that they can look to him. They can trust him. They can walk by faith. He didn't make it up that day like we might. He's been, this is a plan that's written down. It's over with. He sees it as finished. He already knew what he was going to tell them the next day, the next year. He already knew how they were going to act when they backslid and they went fishing, which is where I'm reading that today, by the way. When he restores Peter, says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, if you love me. And that's what we're all called to do. If we really love God, if we're in a love relationship with God, we're supposed to be feeding and tending and calling other sheep and discipling them. That's how restoration is done back to God, is by beginning to hear His voice and following. It can't be hearing and not doing, or James wouldn't so sternly warn us that that is not real faith. Because demons do that. So he tries to get them some rest, and really it's to get them alone with him. Because so many people are wanting and hearing the testimony of him. All the way up to Herod. Remember he cut John the Baptist's head off. And he's still fighting that in his conscience. Because he heard about Jesus' works. And he said oh no John the Baptist has resurrected. So everybody around knows it. Even in the palaces. And they departed by boat by themselves. 
But the multitude saw them departing. So they're still watching. Listen, people are watching you. You don't think they're watching you, but they're watching you. What are you doing? What are you teaching them as they watch you? He saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Notice they're coming for him. They didn't bring food because they're wanting to hear what he has to say. They ran together for him, for Jesus. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. When he came out of where? The boat. Now, I had to look at that a long time to figure that out. I'm like, where did he come out of? Some cave? A house? He's in a deserted place. When he came out of the boat, they ran so fast to get there because they knew where he was going that they beat him there. And it was longer to go by land than it was by boat. And they, when he came out of the boat, he saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Notice that they were sheep without a shepherd. And what does he go straight to? Teaching them, not feeding them. See, many churches use feeding them in order to teach them. And that's how you end up with a messed up church, a social church. I'm just telling you, that's the way the church is getting messed up in the world. He went straight for the spiritual. My God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And what's your first most basic need? Salvation. If you don't change the way you're thinking, every meal is only going to make you think you deserve it. You have to first repent and change the way you're thinking and then be grateful for it. But what we do is we build people into a frenzy with feeding them, and then they're too filled up. Their blood rushes to their belly to digest it, and then they don't even hear the teaching. They miss the messenger. They miss the message. They miss everything. We use the physical, and we cut our own heads off. Listen to me. Very important. They're in the same place, out in the same wilderness, and he teaches them spiritually first. Because if they don't get it spiritually, they're never going to get it physically. They're going to be fatherless homes. They're going to be in the streets blaming somebody else for their position and their place instead of taking accountability for their own sin and their own actions. That's what we have in our societies today because we continue to ignore the Word of God and the church continues to preach upside-down messages. And we, we do call it lifestyle evangelism. I've got to be careful with that word. I'm calling it because of Jesus. People call it that and say, well, you've got to build a relationship before you ever share the gospel. That's not the lifestyle evangelism I'm talking about. So please don't remember the books you read that's messed up. He, began, he had compassion, tender mercy, which is why he sits on a throne of grace handing out mercy, which is why 
the Father sent the Son was because of mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve, grace to help in time of need because they were like sheep. You know what sheep means? I was amazed by this because, you know, we think sheep and sheep. I, mean, I know what sheep means. It means a little wooly guy that goes, bah. No, sheep means this. Listen. Something that walks forward. That's what it means in the Greek. Something that walks forward. And that's why I'm always saying you need to be on the grow. You always need to be on the go. Always being led by the Spirit. Always focused on what He's called you to do next. If not, you won't be moving forward following. You'll be camped out wallowing in the mire again. You have to stay moving forward. His sheep are moving because God's always at work around us. So if He's always at work, there's always something to do. And that's why it's so hard to get a physical meal because you're always worried about somebody else because you're laying your life down like Jesus did. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Oh, believe me, I'm preaching to myself. Wish one of you guys were preaching it. Because of his mercy, he began to teach them. Really? See, the church today, because of the mercy and because of the mercy of God, we're going to give you a check. We're going to give you, we're going to take care of that because of the mercy of God. Everything becomes physical because of the mercy of God. The greatest thing, the most accountable thing you're going to be accountable for because he sent us is what did we do and what did we teach them? And if we're doing it upside downward, believe me, you're going to have an upside down church. Tender mercy. I need to work on the tender part. 35, when, days, when, when the day was now far spent, it is, it's far spent. We're moving into the night as an analogy. His disciples, those that were sent, came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Send them away to fend for themselves. Think about it. This is earthly, central, demonic wisdom. But they don't have anything else to look at. What else could we do? We don't have any food. They really should have come to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, hours late and they haven't ate. What should we do? They shouldn't have gave him a suggestion of what to do. They made up a plan. Send them away. They'll find something to eat. They should have just came and said, Jesus, what do we do? See, if they had the same tender mercy, they would have said, Jesus, what do we do? They would have been concerned about taking care. But they're learning. They're growing. They're disciples. They're still going to backslip once when he dies. So I'm not mad at them. I'm just telling you, if they had the heart at that time, they would have said, how can we feed them? How can we take care of their physical needs? But they've already been taught. Once you teach them, then you can begin to take care of physical needs. 
But, see the contrast, Jesus said, He answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Be real careful doing that. If you don't give them Jesus, you be real careful giving people something to eat if it's not from God. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So there's so many people that they've actually said that it's going to cost 200 denarii, which really becomes equivalent of eight month wages. I don't know whether they had that much in their strong box that Judas was stealing out of or whether they just said it would take they formulated in their mind it would take eight months worth of pay to feed this many people. But they're like, huh? That's impossible, Jesus. We can't do it. Here, let's read over in John. Let's get a little context. Over in John chapter 6, because all the evangelists kind of cover this. John 6. What's it doing there? Starting in verse 5, we read, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he had compassion on them. It's not in John. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said to test him. See this? He's testing them when he says, Let's feed them. To test them. When God gives you an impossible task, something to do, and, and He's testing you to see if you're going to trust Him or if you're going to go to the arm of the flesh and figure it out yourself. He's testing you to see if you're going to trust Him and rely upon Him and look to Him and ask Him for more information, more wisdom. Verse 6, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. See, God's testing you to show you your heart. Deuteronomy 8, 2, these, these 40 years in the wilderness was to test you and to try you to see if, what was in your heart, to see if you would know that man lives by not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we are to live, the voice of God, following he knew what he would do. Then, then Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. And every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, here comes Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but, but what are they among so many? Look here. Somebody planned. Some little lad brought lunch. He's like, we're going out in the wilderness. I'm taking a snack. My house is a long way off. Sometimes people plan, and he's got five loaves and two fish, but still an impossible task, isn't it? I want you to go start a church in Attica. That's an impossible task. Well, you know, I have been teaching the Bible for a couple days, and I was building this. Still an impossible task in my own resources. Jesus said, here it is. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. My sheep obey. They don't just hear. Make the people sit down. Interesting, isn't it? Notice this. Physical food, sit down. Spiritual food, stand up. The teacher would sit down. 
It's just an interesting insight. He's quickly, because it's physical food, tell them to sit down. We're going to serve them. But when they're getting the word of God, they're supposed to stand up. And the teachers would teach in that day, sitting down. Make the people sit down. Now, they didn't go around with Bubba going, sit down. Told you to sit down. You know. It's more of, hey, let's all sit down. Let's, and they were willing to obey his disciples. Because they knew that these people must give an account for your soul. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. See, he cuts to the chase. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, the word is gluttoned satiated he said to his disciples gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten then those men when they had seen the sign notice it's a sign that's what the book of john is about that jesus did it tells you more about jesus than what you knew before the sign was supposed to bring them closer to knowing who he is. They said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The one they were looking for, the Messiah, the one coming after Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 15. And then verse 15 of 6 of John. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed. So he tells them why he took off to go again. Why? He, it, there's different reasons. He's departing because they want to make him king because they think he's the Messiah and they're sick of living in the physical situation that they're in and they don't realize the spiritual ramification of what he just did. Anyway, so back in our text, that was just for context. There's a different way of looking at it from another one of the evangelists. They get away. Where am I at? Mark chapter 6. He's testing them. Verse 38, he says, But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they said, We don't have enough, so we're not going, Lord. You guys got that in your street version? Notice they didn't argue about it. They said, we better go check. I mean, think about it. The utter futility still is, is we didn't carry trunks full out here, Jesus. But he wants to know what they have. Look at your own resources and see that it's impossible to do this. Because the glory has to go to God. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. I added loaves. When he commanded them, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he took what he had. He looked up to heaven blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them and the two fish he divided among them all so they all ate and were filled 
gluttoned, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So they didn't count women and children in those days, but you can believe there was families there. And so they theorized that the number was probably closer to 20,000. Doesn't matter. Somebody will go, that's crazy. There wasn't 20,000 people. Okay, there wasn't. The text says five. Let's go with that. How do you feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? You look up. How do you do the impossible? With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But once again, I don't think it's a rebuke that there's 12 baskets left over. It's teaching them in faith that there's always going to be enough when you're looking up. It may not be enough to glutton like they did. It, it, this word really means that they ate more than they'd ever ate before. It's not the way they would eat at home when they'd eat a small meal, but they were able to eat until Peter came and said, Hey, hey, Lord, we got issues. What's going on now, Peter? They all sleep. They ate so much. I'm teasing. He didn't say that. That's in some other version. But they ate so much. You ever eat so much you just want to fall asleep? Because your blood went from your brain down to your stomach and is digesting it. Listen, this is about trusting him to go even when you can't see. And to know that he is before you. He's never going to ask you to do anything that he doesn't go before you and already prepare. He's never going to ask you to do anything that he doesn't make provision for. Now, there, there's, there's, there's a way of growing that. I remember how he used me to grow that is when I carried the checkbook for Harvest Lafayette. And, and we would make decisions. I'd be like, we ain't got no money. How are you going to do that? And then somebody would donate money the next day to take care of that. We made our decisions not based on what we had, but based upon what God was telling us to do. And we didn't make decisions perfectly all the time. That's not my point. But it grew my faith to watch decisions being made and then God providing after the decision. But see, the church today, we budget. We plan it. This is what we're spending on that ministry. This is what we're doing on that day. This is how it's going to go then instead of Jesus. We want to see souls saved. What should we be doing? And then waiting for him to tell us what to do. And he's already given us a command to go and make disciples. So we know we're supposed to be witnessing. We know we've already been sent. We know we're supposed to be doing the natural while he does the supernatural. But you know what we do? We sit around and we don't do nothing. Because we're more worried about the provision. We're more worried about what will I do if they say yes. We're more worried about the physical than we are about him providing the spiritual. And this whole life, I mean, listen, nobody is starving around here. Nobody is doing bad around here the way that they act like. But your eyes are on self. When your eyes are on self, you're the worst cuss there is. You're the worst person when you get your eyes on self. This is woe is me. Everybody else is doing so good. 
How about getting your eyes on putting your hands to the task, to the plow, to tell somebody that's dying and going to hell about Jesus, to try to help somebody else who doesn't understand the gospel, that they can read the word of God and God will open their eyes. How about getting our eyes off of self? Even these disciples had their eyes on self. We have and we have and we only have and we can't and we need to send them away. We need to make some new plans, Lord. Listen, if you do the natural, God will do the supernatural. And your cup will always run over. He's a good shepherd. Again, I would encourage you to go read Psalm 23. I would encourage you to shut your TV off and quit listening to the lying news. Which channel's that, Greg? All of them. They all have a different truth than Jesus. If they're not underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're underneath the sway of the wicked one. It's that simple. There's only two places to be. You're either following, moving forward as a sheep that hear his voice and he knows you and you follow, or you're camped out somewhere under the sway. And when you're camped out under the sway, you're in the flesh. You're living for self. You haven't been getting alone. But notice... Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew that he was going to look to heaven. Let me go over that real quick. I know you guys are ready. You folded up your Bibles. I never even looked at that in, in depth. Listen. To look up means to recover sight. See, if you're looking down and looking out, you're looking at the physical. But when you decide to look up, you're saying, wait a minute. I can't do this. But God has provided salvation. God has provided provision. God has provided help. God will give wisdom. God should come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can look out. I'll try to figure it out. But if I'm always looking up, I'll always be dependent upon Him for the ministry. And I'll learn in my heart to be trained to keep coming back, keep looking up. And then he also blessed it, which means to thank, to thank God for what he's about to do. Just like you would pray over your food. Interesting, they were all filled. They were all gorged. It's from the same word for grass. When he made them sit down on the green grass, it comes from the word for grass. Like stall-fed sheep, they... All were gorged on the same grass. Just as God makes the grass grow, He can make your food grow. I mean, they're looking at the guy, listen, think, they're looking at the person who created fish. They're looking at the person who created grain and allows it to grow in the field so that they can thresh it and make bread. But they don't know it. You and I, 
are serving that God, but we serve him like he's a genie. We serve him like he's a sometime God. We don't realize that he's here right now. And he's trying to train us to follow him and trust him and believe him and go out and reach others for him because he'll provide. He's the one that spoke and created fish. More, listen, I love doing this too. More fish than you could ever imagine because although you think that we're going to Mars and we may some other year, but we haven't even finished exploring this planet yet. There's so many fish life, so many fish life that we don't even know what all of them are. And God created them. I was reading this morning, I forget where it was, maybe in Jeremiah, that God put the sand in the bottom of the ocean. I was like, what? Because the ocean, we can't even go down there. And he said, and he gave it his boundaries and told it not to move, even though the wind and the sea toss and turn. That stand has to stay down there in the bottom of the ocean. We're like, oh, is that the God you serve? Okay, I got to get my phone. What? I'm, I'm amazed by it. I mean, think about it. You guys are like, he's a nutcase. That's what he is. Might, might have stuck him, but my belly's aching and my butt's hurting from sitting here so long. He put the sand on the bottom of the sea. But he knows where it's at. And then he told it to stay there. And he's put you in the exact spot you are at. And he wants you to trust him and be a witness in it and through it and because of it. Even as they're going to get rest, they run into storms. It's going to be there because He is their rest. Going away with Him is where they get the rest. As they start to go, the people chase them and get there first. And then now the next week when we get in, God willing, we go to get in a boat and He say, get some rest. And He get in the middle of the water and it's, oh, it's too hard, Jesus. So He has to come to them. And remind them that I'm always here. I'm always your provision. Look up. Quit looking at skin and look up because the Father has made provision for our sin. And anytime you're looking out, you're fighting a physical battle. Look up. Get your marching orders and go. And trust Him. Father, we give you praise and glory. Thank you that you are our example of fathers. And boy, you set the mark high, way high. But thank you for our earthly fathers that we know sinners just like us. We pray that fathers would love their wives, that fathers would train their children, and fathers would repent. show great examples of where people should go, where children should go to your throne room. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?